This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Hope everybody's doing great. Uh, got a big show today, and uh, I don't use that uh, term lightly. Going to be joined by uh, co-host, fellow senior writer Dan Murphy in just a moment, uh, and we're going to be talking about all the developments since we were last here. Last we were uh, talking, the draft had just taken place. We weren't sure exactly how everything would shape up, um, but now we've got two weeks in the can, in the can of uh, uh, post draft raws and smackdowns and obviously uh, a lot's developed since then with finn balor on one side challenging for the newly created universal championship uh dolph ziggler of all people on the other side um challenging for the world heavyweight championship at SummerSlam, and um we're going to be covering all of that our thoughts on uh, the first couple weeks since the the draft split um and uh, a lot else then we've got a, a really big treat, and um, if you have got the latest issue of uh, PWI, you know that Seth Rollins is on the cover. We've got a really extensive, long-form uh, interview inside with uh, Seth, and um, big treat here is we've got the rest of it here on the PWI podcast, um, a portion of the interview that didn't make the magazine, um, and we, we cover a, a ton of stuff from his thoughts on the current Ring of Honor product to WWE embracing um, international and and the indie indie scene, um, his thoughts on on the Ricochet Will Osprey match that had a lot of people uh, talking, uh, whether his uh, his backyard wrestling as it was shown on that documentary, the twenty four documentary on WWE Network, might have sent a bad message to fans on um, how to learn wrestling. Um, and uh, a, a lot more. So really some fun topics that um, you you wouldn't necessarily hear uh, Seth Rollins or really any major uh, WWE superstar talking about. Um, and we covered it all, and you won't uh, read it or hear it anywhere else uh, but the PWI podcast. So um, we're really glad to bring that to you here. Uh, I want to thank WWE for giving us permission to do that. Uh, and, um, as for the magazine, uh, as I said, the October issue of PWI is now available. Seth Rollins on the cover and uh, a lot more inside. We've got a big write-up on the state of WWE in 2016. 25 hits and misses, things that we like about WWE and things that we're down on about uh, WWE uh, inside. Uh, features on uh, TNA uh, Knockout Jade on NWA Heavyweight Champion uh, Jax Dane. Uh, a fun feature on feuds, old feuds that we've seen before that now we get a chance uh, potentially to see again in, in WWE. Um, what else? We have got uh, a feature on the Young Bucks uh, on the uh, ECWA Super 8 tournament that we cover every year and so much more. So uh, a super fun issue. And then obviously the uh, the Seth Rollins interview, uh, which I still say I think is the, the most extensive and, and best interview that he's given since his return uh, earlier this year. So not an issue you want to miss. Go to pwi-online.com. You can pick up the one issue. You can subscribe and get a deep discount over the cover price. Uh, subscribe for six issues and get half off the cover price, uh, $20.97. Subscribe to 12 issues and get an even bigger discount. And if you want to subscribe to the digital edition, um, the discounts are even deeper and you get it uh, quicker 
download it right to your desktop, laptop, phone, tablet, what have you. Uh, it looks great on all of those. Uh, again, you can do that at pwi-online.com. Please follow us uh, on Twitter at officialpwi. Uh, find us on Facebook. Um, and drop us a line here at pwipodcast at outlook.com and uh, go into uh, iTunes to check out our archive on the shows. Um, Seth Rollins is a big name, but we've had a lot of them over the last year and a half plus. So please go to the uh, archives and uh, check out a lot of the fun interviews and other things we've done here on the PWI podcast. All right. Now joined by my fellow PWI senior writer and co-host, Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. Got a lot to talk about. Since we last talked, uh, we were right after the uh, the draft, and we were speculating a lot about who Finn Balor's first opponent and program would be with. We were joking about the prospect of uh, SmackDown's roster being so thin that Dolph Ziggler might end up a top babyface. And a couple <laughs> weeks later, obviously, uh, a lot of progress on both fronts. You've got both Balor and Dolph Ziggler. Um, respectively competing for their brand's top title in one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year, SummerSlam. Um, again, a lot changed in the last couple of weeks. What's kind of your overall thoughts on, uh, now that the dust has kind of settled, what this uh, brand split is looking like in, in these early weeks? Well, in the short term, I think it's been a, a, a great success. I think it's built a lot of interest in both the Raw and SmackDown brands. Uh, the week of the draft, uh, SmackDown actually outdrew Raw for the first time in 13 years or so with the, the TV ratings, uh, which is huge. Uh, I, certainly, I don't see that as being sustainable. I think Raw will still be the flagship program and SmackDown will be in second place. But over the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of excitement about both brands. It has had an opportunity to bring in guys and, and have them make an impact, like Finn Balor, as you mentioned. And Apollo Crews over on SmackDown, he's, he's had a little bit of a, a kind of a, a push going on, uh, as well as to kind of reclaim guys like Dolph Ziggler, who have kind of been languishing for a while and underutilized. Uh, there's a few little things here and there that I would have liked to have seen a little bit different, but kudos to WWE on this. I, I was a skeptic on the, the brand split, and uh, I, I still am. Um, but I do think that this has, has, has resulted and uh, some greater interest. It's really gotten fans excited, and I think a lot of fans now are taking the time to watch both Raw and SmackDown in their entirety, as opposed to just kind of uh, you know picking and choosing and skipping around a little bit. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. I think so far, so mostly good, and and that's definitely uh, one of the things I like most about it is that SmackDown doesn't feel like an afterthought. Uh, not for WWE, but for the viewer. I mean, most weeks, even me, and probably you also, SmackDown would come up whenever it would be, Thursday, and it's like, well, you know, do I have to check it out? And you check it out, and, you know, if you, if you decide to check it out, you'd think, well, that was entirely skippable. I didn't miss anything. It felt like a, a chore most weeks because you knew you weren't missing anything. You know, um, there wouldn't be any much progress. Uh, it very much felt like the B-Show. Now... We could talk about whether it still is the B-show, and there's some evidence that it is, uh, but at least it is uh, sort of entirely unique in its own world. If you don't watch SmackDown, you're not going to see the latest developments with uh, John Cena or Dean Ambrose or WWE Championship or uh, a lot of other guys, uh, AJ Styles over on that brand. So I like that. I very much like that. You got to watch SmackDown to see the SmackDown rosters. And um, get to watch Raw to see the the Raw wrestlers, 
And that's what I liked about the the brand extension all those years ago. I mean, I, I was never in favor of them just abandoning it. Um, all that said, you know, just to, to touch on something, you, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it still feels like SmackDown is the B show, um, or at least sort of the A minus show. Uh, and and it kind of reminds me of, if you remember that original brand, brand split years ago, uh, the the WWE Championship, the real championship, also ended up on on SmackDown, and they created the the World Championship for Raw. Uh, but all that happened was that the World Championship on Raw became the more important title, and the the WWE Championship was contested over in great matches, but by the likes of Eddie Guerrero and JBL and guys who you know whatever. People could have revisionist history. They were not at the top of the company when Eddie Guerrero no, they, they was were never the world champion. As, um, yeah, you know. they were never seen as the flag bearer. They no, were Triple H was headlining versus... those shows, and Shawn Michael, exactly. Shawn Michaels were headlining those shows, and the world title was the B title. And with Dean Ambrose as the champion on SmackDown, feuding with Dolph Ziggler, and I know the idea is to elevate Dolph Ziggler, but there's part of me that thinks that they're kind of dragging that title down. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it, it, you're, you're exactly right. This new universal title on Raw. It, the thing is, Raw's always going to be the, well, I don't want to say Raw is always going to be the A show, although I, I think it will. It's whatever show is going to be on Monday night. Because Monday night is, I mean, it was the home to primetime wrestling. It was the home through the Monday night wars. It was, it, it's WWE's night. And, um, you know, just like, um, uh, you know, uh, Football, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now at the NFL, but um, Sunday night football, Thursday night football, uh, it's, it's, it's the night that the tradition is, is, yeah. is, is there. Regardless of whether or not you move it to or what you call the other program, people are conditioned to watching on a certain night, and WWE is, um, is Monday nights. So whatever is airing live on Monday nights is going to be the A show, whether you want to call it uh, Raw or SmackDown or NXT and, and whatever. So it's always going to be bigger. It's going to have the top title. Maybe not necessarily the top guys, but the guys that they want to make the next top guys. I think that's the way it's working. Cena's a proven commodity. He's a, he's a valuable, invaluable resource. So you can kind of put him on the B show, and it's not going to hurt him. It's not going to hurt the brand, and you can always bring him back over again. Again, in, in, admittedly, this is only a week or two after the, everything happened with the, the uh, brand split and the draft but at the house shows you know i was at the smackdown show in buffalo last week and the main event was interbrand you know you had roman reigns there you had john cena you had seth rollins you had dean ambrose um so you know there's already a little bit of permeability between the brands admittedly that's the dark match but still um you know it, it doesn't lead me to really believe that they're going to be very serious about enforcing the, the two different brands when it comes to the big time matches down the road yeah, yeah. And, you know, you look ahead to SummerSlam, and uh, the matches are kind of starting to, to, to shape up now. The card is. And you think, what's the main event of SummerSlam? The true main event of SummerSlam appears to be Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. That's fine. That's theoretically interbrand, even though Brock Lesnar is, is uh, uh, very much a part-time wrestler, so it kind of doesn't matter what brand he's on. So set that aside. There's a number one match. So, okay, what's number two match on, on the card? And um, I think it's Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. You're creating this new title. Finn Balor's this hot new act on Raw. Uh, so there's the number two match uh, on, on SummerSlam. So what's number three yeah, match? I, I'd argue it's Cena versus AJ Styles. Um, and, and then 
you really got to go at least four deep to get to Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler, which is theoretically the real world championship. And uh, again, it sort of reminds me of the last time we had the brand split and they would um, defend the SmackDown world title regularly on the opening match. Um, and again, we're just two weeks in, really, so maybe premature. But um, it there are there's already some writing on the wall that, that uh, SmackDown is not going to get um, equal treatment. Another thing that I think is really interesting is that uh, I think all the speculation was that SmackDown was going to be the show that was... Uh, the new vision and kind of a fresh look and really shaking things up. And really that's been raw from, from week one raw is the show um, that looks different. They've adjusted where the uh, announcers are positioned uh, graphics wise. Uh, there, there's a lot of things. There's more things going on on raw. I feel than, than SmackDown. And I, and part of it might also be that raw went up first. So things that were novel, like, um, squat the return of squash matches and things like yeah. that. Raw got out of the gate first, and by the time SmackDown did it the next night, it felt like, well, this is just what Raw was doing. So interesting that the buzz, um, I feel, is more on Raw than on SmackDown right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that, too. Um, uh, I, I think that um, there definitely is a buzz around both, but Raw is still, you know, the, the main priority, I think, and... Um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. It, it still has the, the lion's share of the attention right now. Uh, SmackDown hasn't done anything to really uh, establish itself or discern itself as any kind of truly different commodity. If anything, um, you had Finn Balor make a, a big surprise uh, appearance. Um, you had the, the title change hands on Raw, whereas the first SmackDown post-brand uh, split, you had really Rhino showing yeah. up who, you know, okay, you know, 15 years ago, that's moderately interesting. Um, but you also had teases for upcoming things. The SmackDown was teasing American Alpha, and they were teasing Shelton Benjamin, whereas Raw was delivering with yep. big names, uh, big surprises, and title changes. Yeah. Yeah, and even Benjamin, who I, I like a lot, but Shelton Benjamin, is, I think, is 41 years old. Uh, so yeah. hardly a, a young, fresh act. And again, sort of comparing apples to apples um, out of the gate raw created uh, a new top babyface challenger uh, contender and it was uh, Finn Balor who is fresh who is exciting who went out there and on one night had a pair of super exciting matches and I think energized the fans and on Smackdown it's Dolph Ziggler who's been around for 11 years who I think, um, you know, we were just talking about in the, in the last po podcast, uh, it feels like the ship is very much sailed there. It's the, the latest attempt to repackage him. And I'm glad to see the guy get a push because I think he, he, um, he's got a lot of upside and um, is a, a very good uh, uh, worker in the ring. Um, but I, I don't see him as... This hot new act, um, he might be the same age as Finn Balor even. So it's not an age thing. It's just that he has um, been there for so Four long hours. and is yeah. equated with staleness. And, um, you know, it, it's just weeks ago he was doing jobs to Baron Corbin. So yeah. it just seems odd that and, – and again, in some way I think it's well-intended because – uh, I think what they're trying to accomplish is saying, look, it's a new day here. Here's a guy who has deserved a push for a long, long time and, and has been buried. And in this new SmackDown, he's going to have an opportunity to 
um, prove what he can do. But it just feels like it might be a little late for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, for me, Dolph Ziggler was, um, even when they, they introduced him, I mean, it, keep in mind, he was a guy who was on Spirit Squad 10 years ago, and then he was introduced in backstage vignettes where he's introducing himself with, you know, very smugly as Dolph Ziggler, which is just such a ridiculous name. You know, you take Dolph Lundgren and you take Zig yeah. Ziggler, you combine it together, and it, it's just it's just dumb. Like, I mean, it, it's, you know, whatever. It, it's um, just a, a mishmash kind of half-assed attempt at introducing a new character. And then they just kind of stuck with it. And then he was the show-off, and he got a reputation for taking big bumps, which, which is good if you're in against main event guys and really putting on classic matches. But he's taking the big bumps in, you know, mid-card matches that really don't mean anything, they don't do anything. And it just kind of swatted as, here's a guy that, you know, you're not really supposed to care much about. I mean, he's, everything about him, from his name to his personality, is generic. You know, he's, he's a watered-down Shawn Michaels 20 years late. It, it, yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, great worker, great everything, um, you know, very good in everything he does, but just the way he's been packaged and handled has been has conditioned fans to not care about him. And uh, to, you can't turn that around overnight. You have to repackage him or do something different. You can't just one day say, hey, everything up to now didn't really matter. We're going to give you a chance to be a star. Well, what have been his past 10 years in the company, you know? So it's uh, it's just a little bit backwards. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I really agree. I mean, I feel like there was a window there a few years ago, I think when he was um, the money holding the money in the bank um, briefcase. And I was there at the uh, the Raw after WrestleMania 29 when he cashed in against Alberto Del Rio and the place just went bananas. And um, that was the time. And in their defense, they did put the world title on him. And I mean, again, the world title didn't that world title didn't mean a whole lot by then. Um, but they did kind of give him a push and he ended up getting hurt and derailed and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but it just feels too late. And uh, yeah, I was you know watching him last night in that match with Bray Wyatt, which was a good match. And, and Dolph does what he always does. He's taking the big bumps and really selling like crazy. I mean, I think he's aiming for for Kurt Hennig or Shawn Michaels, but it feels more like Billy Gunn. You know, and yeah. um, yeah. it's just there's just an air of him that is just kind of tone deaf. He's out there with um, the 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 Van Halen wannabe logo, um, and that's kind of his whole thing is like the hairband thing. And trust me, I love a hairband as much as the next guy. Uh, right, but he's but got the what's that? Aren't over anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. There's there's just something about him is just not cool. <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, I think especially as as a babyface act. So, out of the answer is maybe to turn him heel, and and I think he's done better work as a heel. I remember going to a house show back in maybe 2012. It was late 2012 when he had a feud going with John Cena. Um, I think they worked together at Money in the Bank, and they had a cage match at a Friday night house show in Nassau Coliseum, and it was one of the best matches I've ever seen live. I mean, I, I remember leaving there. It was almost in the the five star. Uh, territory, you know, pay-per-view, maybe even WrestleMania uh, worthy level of, of uh, work rate. I remember just being blown away um, in front of whatever it was, 7,000 fans on, on Long Island. And, um, you know, it, it really struck me that uh, Ziggler's great, great worker, just a tremendous work rate um, went in there with the right opponents. But uh, I don't know if it's 
it's almost like he's grown into that position that he's been slotted in so long as the guy who helps uh, make other guys look good. Uh, and maybe once upon a time, he deserved more than that. But again, he's sort of grown into that role and is sort of good at it. So um, I think he deserves more than losing matches to Baron Corbin on a pre-show. Uh, but I don't know if he's world title material either, at least not right now. Maybe he's the guy who can make Dean Ambrose look a little bit better. I mean, maybe yeah, he's that... the one who, who can really bring it out of Dean and, and get him back up to that level after kind of some really disappointing matches, in my opinion. Right. And, and uh, right. None of this is to say that the plan is to put the world title on, on um, Dolph Ziggler. It may just be, uh, you know, helping to establish Dean Ambrose as, as the world champion. I'd guess that this will go on for a little while and one of the two will turn. It probably makes more sense for, for um, Ziggler to turn and maybe this goes into the fall and I bet you they'll have some really good matches. I don't doubt it, but um yeah, something definitely needs to change with the uh, the Ziggler character. Um, over on Raw, it's it's Finn Balor, it's the Universal Championship. Um, what's your take on how they've reinvented their world title pitcher on Raw? Well, at first I was I was a little bit disappointed. Um, I actually watched um, well, I, I watched some of Raw with uh, Natalia, uh, who, who I met out with and, and, and we were kind of watching it at a sports bar and having dinner as Raw was coming on. And um, when they finally got the TV on, it was the uh, six-man match where Finn Balor's in there with everybody else. And uh, immediately, and, and what I kind of said to her was, you know, I, I'm disappointed because I really wanted Finn's debut to be bigger than life, full demon, going there against mid-level or low-level opponent and really just make an impact not be immediately thrown in with five other guys. And because he, he took a beating from Kevin Owens, took a beating from a few other people in that match before he ended up winning it. Ultimately, it worked out. I mean, he, the fans were behind him. Everything worked out. Uh, my gut reaction was, man, they just really missed an opportunity to have somebody have a bigger-than-life debut and be the full demon character and have that look and, and just be treated like, here's someone who's different. And instead, he's put in a match with five other guys who are all as good. And he, he emerged. He, he made it to the main event. He beat Roman Reigns, which did uh, you know a ton for him, um, you know, in, in terms of really establishing him. But it, it just bothered me that they had an opportunity to really kind of bring in something colorful and new and fresh, and, and didn't. Um, in the end, it probably won't make a difference because he is, uh, you know, already established at that level. The win over Roman Reigns is huge. Getting the match for SummerSlam will be, you know, terrific, tremendous for him. Um, but I just, it, it killed me to watch him in a match that went that long because it was a long match. He took a ton of, of punishment. And all that you're watching is just like, you know, I'm just thinking on behalf of a casual viewer, oh, this is the guy who was so special from NXT. He just... He's not really standing out until the end when, when he ended up, you know, winning the match, obviously. Yeah. But he took a lot of punishment on, on the way to that. And I think that there could have been a better way to uh, establish him. Yeah, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I, when um, they announced the, the contestants for that, uh, the two Fatal Four Ways, and um, Balor was just standing on the ramp along with everybody else and, and kind of uh, nonchalantly introduced um, from the pack. I thought they were off to a bad start. I thought, you know, here's a guy who, yeah, he, he deserves more, uh, more of a spectacle, more pomp and circumstance. 
in his uh, first appearance on Raw. Um, and I'd agree with you very much. If he lost either or, or uh, well, he couldn't lose both those matches. But if he lost either of those matches, I would have been down on it. But, you know, that they clearly, on his first night, sent the message, um, you know, your your takeaway was he's take he's in there with a bunch of guys who were just as good as he is and he's taking punishment from them. I saw it as he can hang with all these guys. He's a guy who is at their right. level and in beating Roman Reigns clean is above Roman Reigns level. So, um, you know, I I think a lot of people, ourselves included, get on WWE's case a lot about not pushing guys um, right out of the gate. The, you know, the the proverbial uh, rocket pack. The one example of of doing it right. Um, in recent years that I, I that sticks in my mind out of all places was in TNA when they had uh, Nigel McGuinness and and uh, he debuted as Desmond Wolf and the first night beat the heck out of Kurt Angle and was a, a top yeah. contender and I remember thinking yeah that's how you do it and um, this reminded me of that um, you know out the gate a lot of people here don't know who Finn Balor is never seen him before we're telling you uh, this guy is the real deal. He's a big deal. And all the more impressive when um, you see him in there, you see how much smaller he is in that guy's. I mean, I don't know if he's even smaller than, than Daniel Bryan was uh, in some ways. I mean, he's he's really sort of diminutive. Um, yeah, but... it's, funny. it's funny that you bring that up. I, I, and this is always from my gauge, but I, I happen to catch a little bit of the, the match, again, watching with my dad, uh, Roman Reigns against, uh, against Baylor. And... Uh, my dad just kind of, as they were both introduced, he laughed. He's like, are you going to tell me if this little guy is going yeah. to be in there against this guy? He's going to kill him. I'm like, no, this little guy's going to win. Yeah. And uh, my dad kind of laughed. He's like, it's just, it's just so unbelievable. And, and that's the old school mentality, and, you know, but it does really make a striking visual. You bring in Baylor for as good as he is and as talented as, as what he does, he's still a little man. And getting in there against a guy like Roman Reigns, you know, just really exposes him as just being a little guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole other conversation to have, but I do think one day a major wrestling promotion, whether it's WWE, and maybe they're taking a step toward it with the Cruiserweight Classic, um, needs to seriously think about weight divisions. Um, and with with the popularity of UFC, um, you know, Conor McGregor is the biggest star in all of MMA and is thought of as a, a legit badass but nobody would think to put him in there against Brock Lesnar or or Cain right. Velasquez, and it doesn't make him less of a badass. It's just that's outside of his weight division. Um, but you know, un until you could create some parity where you'd have different weight divisions and no one division was a bigger deal than the other, you know, again, more praise to TNA. They're the closest to have come uh, to that. Uh, very early on when they used to headline some of their shows with the exhibition title. And this was the the days of the Wednesday night pay-per-views. Um, but for a while there, the exhibition title was uh, just about on par with, with their heavyweight title. You know, certainly not the case anymore. Uh, but, you know, you'd think even like a Ring of Honor maybe would think of something like that. But the, the thing is that outside of WWE, you don't get that many guys who are the, the super heavyweights. You know, in, in Ring of Honor... Um, weight divisions aren't that much of an issue because everybody's sort of in that same range with, with few exceptions. Um, I, but I, I will say this, though. I, I've written about – I've written a couple hundred bios for the, uh, the PWI 500 this year. And uh, more than any other year that I can remember, um, there's more guys who weigh less than 200 pounds. Yeah. Just in WWE also. I mean, there used to be an era 
where I remember if you were in the WWF, you were the lowest weight that they acknowledged was 228. Coco Beware was 228 pounds. Everybody who was on job to, until Sam Houston came in, then it was 217. And and like you know, but you know they they always adjusted the weights. And sure. They, you know whatever. But that was an era where you know if you're a pro wrestler, you got to weigh at least 217, 218 pounds. Now with the cruiserweight classic and everything, there are guys who weigh 145. Pounds, There's guys cutting weight. They've, yeah, they've showed guys cutting weight to make 205, which is yeah. um, so counter to everything that WWE has done over the years. Absolutely, it's a very different new uh, era that we're in. Which I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just very different from what it's been. Yeah, and noticeable. Yeah, and size aside, I mean, I think the thing they've got with um, Finn Balor which is something that they have tried and tried and tried and tried for years with John Cena, with Roman Reigns, with so many others, is to have a cool baby face. They sort of have it with Dean Ambrose, but he is kind of weird cool, you know? Uh, but, you know, this is one of the first times that my kid, you know, you go by your, your dad, I go by my kid, sort of the opposite ends of, of yeah. the fan spectrum. Uh, but he saw Finn Balor and was, you know, immediately sort of drawn to him and it's the music and my wife was there too and she thought he was really good looking guy and and he is he's a handsome guy leather jacket great look um small but not you know we've talked about Dean Ambrose being small and it's and it's sort of uh I don't want to call him scrawny because he'd beat the hell out of me that's for sure uh but but you don't look at Dean Ambrose and think fit you look at at uh, Finn Balor, and, and you see a guy who's in shape, just a little smaller. So I think they just have uh, such a good thing going with uh, Finn Balor. And I mentioned Conor McGregor, and there's some parallels there too. You know, he's got the Irish uh, thing going on. Um, I just, I think they got to be real, real careful. And and to that end, I didn't mind that they didn't um, debut him with the, the whole demon thing. I'm sure we're going to get it at SummerSlam, and that's the way it should be. I mean, you reserve it for the bigger matches. The I don't even know if you moment. do it on, yeah, exactly. on every pay-per-view, but at a WrestleMania, at a SummerSlam, at a Royal Rumble, uh, something really big, then yes, bring out the whole big entrance. And um, yeah, I think they got to be, and, and I don't necessarily think he should win the world title uh, at SummerSlam. I think there might be more money in the chase with him and, and um, going back to Rollins, who they know is kind of a sure thing with, with that world title. Uh, but they may really be onto something with Finn Balor. Yeah, it's, it's still too early to tell. I mean, it's only been a, a week, really. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I remember with Finn Balor, too, when, when he was uh, Prince Devitt, you know, in New Japan and, and before that. Um, I remember years ago going to an indie wrestler's house and, uh, like, he introduced me to Daily Motion, you know, before I'd ever heard of Daily Motion because uh, there weren't any Prince Devitt matches on YouTube, but you could find a lot on Daily Motion. Yep. So we're over at his house and we're, we're just, sitting there for a couple hours just watching Prince Devitt matches. And he's the kind of guy who, once you, you, you kind of catch him, he, he captivates you. Daniel Bryan was the same way when he was Brian Danielson on the independence and everything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've I thought that this guy's been something special for a while. It's good to see it finally show up in WWE. I'm just hoping that it does have a uh, – it has legs, you know, that, that it, he doesn't become kind of the flavor of the month that dies out. I'm hoping that he can really show his, uh, you know, his promo ability and that he has kind of, um, I don't know, uh, staying power, uh, you know, beyond this first uh, pay-per-view, uh, you know, call me the event spot he'll be having. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I do think that's one of the places where the brand split comes in handy um, in that it's not as big a pond. Um, he gets to kind of stay on Raw and work with those guys and be one of the bigger stars on that brand and um, not to have to share oxygen with John Cena or some other guys. And down the line, you've got some of those dream matches in, in place, whether it's um, Cena or Styles or, or those kind of guys. Um, let's talk a little bit about Roman Reigns. And, um, you know, we're talking about Balor. And it certainly feels like uh, the, the torch has sort of been, been passed. Uh, you know, we've talked about whether these last few weeks and the suspension and all that marked the end of the Roman Reigns uh, experiment. There's even more evidence now that, that that is the case. This past Monday, they appeared to move him into a program with Rusev, of all people, for the U.S. title. Um, you know, the, the definition of mid-card. Uh, do you think that's it? Did, did that, is that pretty much the end of the Roman Reigns experiment? I don't think it is, but I was wrong last week. I thought for sure that they would just bump him back and, and he'd be, you know, after the suspension, he'd return and, and be ready to take his, his place on top, uh, that, that Dean Ambrose is kind of a placeholder until Roman came back. Um, now it looks like they're definitely dialing back. I, I don't think it's a full-term thing. I think that it may just be an opportunity to, uh, to let somebody else kind of run on top for a little bit and uh, bide their time with Roman. Um, again, I think that the office is really, really high on the guy, uh, and he's delivered from a, a match quality. He's, he hasn't been a slouch in the ring. Uh, he just hasn't been able to really connect with the fans the way that they would like him to. Um, so maybe they can keep tweaking him. You put him against a guy like Rusev, who, who gets great heat, and theoretically, uh, Rain starts getting a little bit more of a babyface reaction. Um, that hasn't exactly happened yet, but it could over the, the duration of the program and see if they can kind of right the ship with Roman. Um, I don't think that they've given up, but, um, you know, it may be a run with the U.S. title. Maybe he could do something with the U.S. title like what John Cena did, where it's good for the title and good for him, and he doesn't have to kind of carry the load himself, but he can kind of grow a little bit in the, the middle of the pack until he's ready to resume his spot on top. Yeah, yeah, I... I agree that I think um, this is sort of temporary, but I do think the Roman Reigns experiment might be over um, in the sense of him being the top babyface uh, in the company. This sort of feels like, uh, well, you've got Rollins and Balor in this universal title pitcher at SummerSlam, you know, that forces Reigns kind of on the sidelines. He's one of your, your biggest names, so you got to get him on the show somehow. Rusev needs an opponent. Opponent, this will be a one-off. You know, gives them something, both something to do. Um, but I could see Reigns factoring into the Universal Title match uh, at the end of SummerSlam, and I do think uh, they are close now to finally pulling the trigger on on him turning heel. Um, and it it's all sort of aligned. The 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 it, it's set up for that. Then you can. Put Reigns back in the uh, the world title or the universal title pitcher, the main event pitcher, potentially working with Balor, but as the heel. Um, you know, there's been some talk of whether there is a Reigns Rollins alliance that comes out of SummerSlam, a heel alliance with maybe Reigns as sort of the uh, the Diesel to Rollins Shawn Michaels, which I think could be a really good role for him. Uh, but at this point, it really is. What have you got to lose by turning the guy heel? I mean, if if he's 
not even if, if you've got him in a baby pay, baby face position, but he's not even your top baby face. He's just kind of filling out a mid card match. Then why bother? Why not just to pull the trigger uh, on him yeah. and make him a main especially event heel? When he's, especially when he's already getting the, the heel reaction, you know, as, as he's, he's the top heel in WWE right now, whether yeah. they want him to be or not, you know? So yeah, in, in light of that, it would make sense to pull the trigger and, and turn him heel on it. Um, I, again, you know, that could be another step to uh, bringing him back to the main event picture, putting him in the world title picture again, because, you know, he, he could get very over as a heel. But I agree, it, it's time to kind of make a change because um, right now it's it's just not working. It hasn't been. Yeah, and the issue always was um, who you needed a top baby face. And... Uh, until somebody else was ready to to take that role, there was some discomfort in moving um, Reigns out of it, especially if Cena is now on the other brand. But there's tons of evidence that Balor could be that guy. Uh, so it's like it feels like the time is right. You know, you you've got Balor ready to to take the reins, no pun intended, as the top uh, babyface on Raw. Um, Cena's over on on SmackDown. Ambrose is over on SmackDown. I feel like. Everything is in place uh, for that. What do you think of uh, the title pitcher uh, overall? Not just on Raw, but the creation of the Universal title. Talk of now two sets of tag team titles, two sets of women's titles. Uh, I'm not thrilled about it. I, I liked the idea of, you know, you could have the tag team championship on one brand, the women's championship on the other. Each of the brands gets a uh, a mid card singles title, the U.S. or or continental title, uh, to defend as essentially the the top title on on each of their brands. Um, and you've got one world champion split between the two, kind of the traveling world champion. To me, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, but they seem to be going in the other direction. Well, the only thing that's tough about that is if they do something like that. Um, then, you know, if you're a tag team and you get drafted to the, the brand that doesn't have the tag title, well, what's the, what's the point? They're, you know, yeah. especially if you're a woman, you're a woman wrestler and there's no title on your brand. Well, what are we fighting for? Like, what, well, could you have all the women on one brand and all the right. tag teams and, and on the other? Been, that would have been fine. If they established that and set that up with the, the draft and just moved all the tag teams to SmackDown, all the women to Raw or whatever, perfect. That would have been great. Uh, but the way they did it, they just kind of went down the list, and, and even the wrestlers didn't know where they were going to end up, and you know it just kind of happened the way it happened. Um, so because of that, then I think that you really do need to have the, the separate titles for each brand. But yeah, in a perfect world, I would have done it the way exactly the way you described it, where you split the titles up between the two brands, but then you have the world champion who you know goes back and forth. Well, you could have even do that with all the titles but for the U.S. and the I.C. So the U.S. and the I.C. stick with their respective brands, and the tag team champions can go back and forth. The women's champion could go back and forth. Uh, and on any given time, you know, a, a, a Raw pay-per-view could feature a— and, and, you know, you could make sure that on any given time they're on not on the same brand. So maybe this month the tag team titles are— are being feuded over on Raw and the women's titles being feuded over on SmackDown and next month you switch, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, maybe we're overthinking it, but I think the big picture is watering down titles. And that was absolutely one of the things that came out of the first brand split um, when there was a women's champion and a divas champion and the World Tag Team Championship and the WWE Tag Team Championship. And um, just none of them meant very much at all. 
And the funny thing is, they unified the tag team titles, they unified the Divas and the women's titles, and the thing is, those unification matches, they even unified the two world titles. All three of those unification matches really didn't mean anything. I mean, if you remember Randy Orton against John Cena, I think it was Orton who beat Cena to unify those two titles, and it was at a Survivor Series? or I don't It was know, uh, it TLC, I think. Series. TLC, yeah. It was just this B or C level pay-per-view. It didn't really mean anything. Uh, the Divas title, if memory serves, I think it was, um, what was it? It was uh, Layla beating Melina, maybe? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that again, that neither of us remembers, it tells you something. Yeah, that's exactly the point. So, I mean, I, I, you could say that, that um, creating different titles creates uh, some interest in terms of potential unifications or dream matches, but historically that hasn't been the case. It has just kind of watered down the titles. But if, if they're going to hold steady and, and really keep this as two separate touring brands, then I think it's, it's viable to have individual champions on each brand. Um, you know, because people like to see title changes. They like to see the champions there, and it gives everyone on the roster something done for. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, I, th I think I really like the idea of um, or the opportunity to make the Intercontinental and U.S. titles mean more within their brand. I mean, if... This month, the uh, world title, Dean Ambrose, is is feuding uh, on SmackDown with Dolph Ziggler over the world title. And now Rusev is in uh, a main event program on Raw with whoever it would be, Roman Reigns or Finn Balor or whoever, for the U.S. title. Um, you know, I think that's fine. And, and I think one thing that history has shown time and time again is that it's the title holder that makes the title, right? And so um, the U.S. title hasn't meant a, a lot in, in a while now. It, you know, it's gone from uh, Alberto Del Rio to Kalisto to Rusev. Uh, but for about a year there, uh, maybe short of a year, it was a big, big deal thanks to John Cena. And they were headlining, yeah. you know, Madison Square Garden for the U.S. title um, because John Cena had the title. So, uh, you know, they could take the, the IC title and the U.S. title overnight and make it a big deal if you have it around the right person, you know. And, and again, that's been the history of, of the business, you know. Um, throughout the, the 70s and 80s and even into the part of the 90s, you could absolutely headline shows with the inter Intercontinental title because it was around the waist of Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat and, and Kurt Hennig and Tito Santana and on and on, Don Morocco. Uh, and these were very much a main event acts. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's it's like you said. It, it's the person who 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 really helps elevate or the, the title rather than the other way around. Um, but yeah, uh, but in a case could be said that more titles can help elevate. You know, more people can can have more of a uh, opportunity to make those titles mean something. But again, it, it bears. You know, we have to see how it all develops. Yeah. All right. I mean, one last thing, sort of big picture, and, and it this very much strikes me, is WWE is an improved place from a few months ago. I mean, I feel like um, everybody was pretty down on the product for a while there when they were forcing the square peg in, in the round hole with, with the Roman Reigns, and Rollins was on the sidelines, side and Cena was on the sidelines, and, you know, a lack of, of fresh faces moving up. Uh, and, and right now, I mean, we, we have little criticisms here and there, but I mean, look at the big picture. You've got 
on one brand, Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler, who are capable of some terrific matches in the world title program. Uh, the other uh, side, Seth Rollins and, and Finn Balor uh, feuding over their top uh, title. You got Brock Lesnar back um, working with Randy Orton, and I very much have liked what I've seen out of the two of them so far. You've got another uh, probably going to be an incredible match between uh, John Cena and AJ Styles. That's, you know, uh, maybe third from the top at SummerSlam. A lot of things are in place right now to make it uh, a lot. It, it's a it's a fun time watching WWE right now. Yeah, it, the roster depth is, is as good as it's ever been. And uh, they, they managed to really recover from a very bleak period just a few months ago, like you said. So it's, it's a good time to be a fan. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that is the man we're about to hear from, um, the architect of WWE. Uh, Seth Rollins, again, uh, if you want to hear the the rest of this interview or read the rest of the interview, check out the October issue of a PWI. A lot of the meat of this interview is in there. This is the stuff that didn't make it uh, into the magazine, but tons of fun stuff here. Uh, check it out. Dan, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Let's hear from, uh, let's hear from Seth. What do you make of um, uh, the, the return of the brand split um, and, and SmackDown being its own brand with its own roster? Uh, does does it uh, motivate you? Are you excited about, um, I guess, potentially there being two smaller ponds than one big one? Are you worried about ending up on a brand that you don't want to be on and maybe with away from some wrestlers you want to work with, that kind of thing? No, man, there's really no, for me, no uh, bad, bad side to this thing. Uh, I'm stoked. We have so much talent in the talent pool right now. This is only going to, you know, give more people opportunities uh, to be something special. You know, I think this is a huge opportunity for guys to step up and, uh, you know, take that top spot, you know, grab that quote-unquote brass ring or whatever. Um, I mean, you look at the last time there was a brand split, and it, it, it was awesome. And, it, you know, it really gave birth to John Cena, who's one of the biggest stars of our generation. Um, you know, of all time, really. And, um, it, you know, we can even, you know, get half of that out of this brand split. I just think it's a great opportunity for everybody involved. And whether I get drafted to Raw or SmackDown is uh, really irrelevant to me. You know, I, I love competition. I thrive on it, on the pressure. Um, so whoever's on the opposite end, uh, you know, of that spectrum, they better be working just as hard as me. And I don't know if that's possible. So uh, I'm really looking forward to the challenge. Whatever, whatever side I end up on. What, what do you make in general of, of WWE's uh, kind of new attitude toward independent wrestling, uh, international wrestling? There, there is an, an acknowledgement and an embracing of talent from outside WWE, you know, like we haven't seen in, in generations. Um, and, you know, if you could re- remember back to uh, being in the Indies and being in a Ring of Honor and, and hoping to get that call... Um, do, do you think uh, uh, wrestlers, young wrestlers today, have it a lot better than, than you did just a few years ago? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, just look at the difference between, uh, you know, in an NXT developmental system um, for an FC, FCW developmental system, and it's night nine day, you know, and then you that, that goes, that, that trickles down all the way into the Indies and, and where we're getting our talent from. And uh, I'd like to think that I played a small part in transforming uh, the entire system, you know, without guys like myself, Cesaro, Ambrose, Brian, Punk, um, having success at a high level. Um, you wouldn't have the company 
into that into that area. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have the faith to go out and grab a Sami Zayn and a Kevin Owens and a Finn Balor, and and uh, you know, they wouldn't have the faith to look at Evolve and work with Gabe Sapolsky and stuff like that if it wasn't for guys that he had recommended as top stars becoming top stars. Um, so you know, I, you know, I think some of us. Um, in the, the previous years, we'll kind of go unsung as heroes in that regard um, for helping pave the way, I think, you know, from punk uh, all the way up to, you know, where we're at now with, um, you know, Neville's and, and, like I said, Finn Bowers and then all that Samoa Joe's and stuff. I think it's, uh, it's a very interesting time to be uh, in this industry and be a fan of this industry. I think that to see where the pieces are going to all fall and land here in the next few years is uh, really exciting. Did you keep tabs on Ring of Honor at all? I mean, I wonder if it's like, you know, the major league uh, ball player who who looks back fondly on his on his alma mater and that kind of thing. And and Ring of Honor's grown a lot since you've been there. You know, a lot of people consider him the the legit number two right now in the U.S. Um, do do you, do you keep tabs? Do you look back with pride? That kind of thing. Oh, definitely look back with pride for sure. Um, and uh, to a certain extent, keep tabs. You know, I still got some, some good friends down there. Um, you know, Roderick Strong, obviously. Um, Alex Shelley, back with them. Uh, the Motor City Machine Guns with him and Sabin. And, uh, and so I've got a lot of friends, you know, still very close with, um, you know, Kerry Silken and stuff like that. So I talk to him occasionally as well. And, and uh, it, it's just cool. You know, I'm, I'm stoked that they've been able to do what they've, they've done for you know, close to close to 15 years, which is just incredible. Um, and it's awesome that, you know, they've got, uh, you know, a nice broadcasting giant at Sinclair backing them now, and, and they've kind of got their, their footing uh, with that company and really starting to gain some ground. It's, uh, it, you know, the, the, the more that we can have stuff like that, the better it is for everybody. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in that. I, I don't. Better you can always be where it's at, and that's awesome. I love watching everything else grow underneath it. That's uh, that's very cool. Yeah. Another takeaway from from that doc was with all the backyard wrestling and and seeing you do the things you were doing. I was just thinking uh, about the, uh, the the don't try this at home <laughs> message that pops up before uh, every WWE video. Um, you know, any concerns about what that message is? I mean, here here you did the backyard wrestling stuff and and really crazy extreme stuff in in a backyard. And you you rose to the the very top of the industry. So, any concerns about a kid seeing that and saying, "Well, you know, that's the way to do it," that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly a little bit of concern, but I, I think that uh, you know, it's it's all dangerous. Being a kid is dangerous. You know, you're gonna do you're gonna emulate your favorite sports stars one way or another. You know, I got hurt more playing backyard football than I did backyard wrestling, and that was. You know, by all means, very fortunate because we were trying some really silly things when I was in my teenage years. And uh, if my kids were doing it, if I had kids and they were doing that now, I would be uh, very opposed to it. Because yeah. uh, I, I really feel like we were super fortunate to only have a couple, you know, you know, ankle sprains here and there. Nothing that long-term uh, affected us. But, I mean, it, it certainly, in a way helped me, I'm sure, you know, uh, but I, I didn't know, I didn't learn, I, I was just trying stuff, we were just out there having fun being goofballs, you know what I mean, so it wasn't like 
I didn't really start learning until I until I went to wrestling school and, and you know started to understand things a little bit more. And until that point, I was just jumping on a trampoline doing flips, so it wasn't anything uh, that that I think is, is too threatening. And, and obviously, we're still going to air the "Don't Try This at Home" thing, and we're still going to you know go by that. And that's I 100 percent agree with that. I don't want kids all over the nation trying to. You know, I don't want to be the new Mick Foley. That's not my <laughs> not my goal, and I love Mick, but that's not not where I want to be as far as backdoor wrestling is concerned. Yeah, that, if, if you got a moment, let, let's talk a bit about sort of uh, a wrestling philosophy and style philosophy, and and uh, you always have the old timers who see uh, uh, young wrestlers and very flashy moves. I don't know if you saw some of these highlights of uh, a match from Japan a couple weeks ago, uh, Ricochet and. Uh, Will Ospreay, right? And uh, uh, people talk about this being sort of, you know, the evolution of the style and just as crazy, high-flying, you know, gravity-defying stuff um, as as uh, you can imagine. And there are a lot of people who are down on it saying this is getting way too far removed from what this is supposed to be, and, and, and it's a fight. Where do you stand on uh, on that? I mean, you certainly uh, uh, are no stranger to flashy moves and and big time athletics. Um, is is it a balance that you try to to meet? I mean, uh, uh, entertaining and being spectacular, but clearly getting across that this is a fight and I'm and I'm trying to beat this guy. Um, you know, I I don't have to me my ultimate rule of professional wrestling has always been. If it's good, it's good. And the ultimate goal is to create a connection, uh, get get a reaction out of a crowd, and that's that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're, we're that's the whole thing, tell a story. And if the story is told in hyper acrobatics, then by all means, you know, I, I have I I thought the match between Will and and Ricochet was uh, a lot of fun to watch, and you know jaw-dropping as far as, you know, high-flying is concerned. And, you know, that's their thing. Let them go do it. If they didn't do it, somebody else is going to do it. I mean, at some point, there's a limit uh, that, you know, you're going to only be humanly possible to do so much. And if they want to push those limits in their own way, then by all means, that's their thing. That's not my thing. I like a little bit of athleticism, and I like a lot of storytelling, and that's just where I grew up. That's what I like. And I think, you know, obviously you have to evolve with the times and with the, the industry and stuff like that, you want to get left in the dust. But like, you know, we just do different things. Doesn't make one right, one wrong. If it's good, it's good, man. That's my number one rule. If it's good, it's good. All right, man. Thank you so much. This was a real pleasure. I appreciate it. Right on. Take care.